Welcome to the Mortcast, brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, and Blake Street Tavern, uh, the big house on Blake, uh, one of your favorite uh, sports bars in the western United States. But before I get started, I'd like to talk to you about Blanchard Family Wines, located between 18th and 19th, and Blake and Wazi in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado. Just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. Um, I usually don't do this, but go to bfwdenver.com soon. I don't know if it's up there yet, but soon. And look up a brand new kind of partnership that they got uh, with a wine. Uh, and it is called, uh, it's a Zinfandel in partnership uh, with, uh, let's see, which is the uh, Deviation Distilling. Uh, they have a tasting room there in the Dairy Block, uh, along with uh, Blanchard Family Wines, which is located between 18th and 19th in Blake and Wazi in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the Dairy Block. This new wine is a Zinfandel that is uh, uh, finished with a uh, bourbon barrel. So it is just, uh, from what I understand, uh, it is amazing, and... I have not. I have yet to have it. I got a bottle here myself. Um, I heard great, great things about it. And the interesting thing about the Zinfandel is that even though it's not technically an American grape, it is an American grape. Uh, there's more Zinfandel produced in uh, the United States than there is in any other place in the world, and. Um, it is uniquely American because it's paired with an American whiskey called uh, uh, bourbon, which is, um, you know, uh, it, it is just, it is so interesting to kind of hit. And if anyone's had a, uh, a, uh, a wine that has been finished in a bourbon barrel, it packs a punch. Um, you can't really it's, drink it like you do any other red wine, but it is really, really good. And it's, uh, uh, from what I understand, this has been mellowed out a bit. Uh, as far as uh, the bourbon cask aging has actually uh, mellowed out the wine a bit. So if you're not into Zinfandel, but you're more into like the traditional bourbon pairing with uh, Cabernet, you may like this one because it really takes the bite out of uh, the Zin. And uh, I'm really looking forward to trying this. So you can go to bfwdenver.com and get yourself a bottle. Uh, they've got this going on. It's a limited run. There are only 300 bottles, and a lot of them have been sold already. So get down to bfwdenver.com or go to the Dairy Block, which is located between 18th and 19th in Blake and Wazee in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the Dairy Block. Get yourself this bottle because it is absolutely amazing. And if you like whiskey, this may be your thing. If you're out of state, you can still order from bfwdenver.com, uh, and they'll get you a bottle. And when you talk to them or you communicate with them, Tell them that uh, Jeff Morton from CSG Podcast sent you there. What is up, everybody? Thank you all for joining me on the latest Mortcast, part of the CSG Network. I'm, of course, your host, Jeff Morton, um, as I put down this bottle. Um, this is going to be my rant episode about how the NBA has improved. Um... We've gone through a multi-part series about the rules changes and how they've benefited the Nuggets, and this one's going to be more generally about how the league aesthetically looks so much better right now, and 
you could say that the 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 pace and space and chucking threes era peaked last year, um, and by peaked it reached its critical mass. And I kind of want to go over this by uh, talking about some history with other sports leagues, uh, including the NBA. Um, in the mid '90s, the uh, the uh, Major League Baseball was coming out of a horrible strike that basically almost sunk uh, the league. And it seemed like everyone, including the players, knew that they needed to embrace the long ball. Um, Obviously, there were factors there, steroids being one of them. Uh, They would look the other way, but it increased the popularity of, of Major League Baseball to the point where I think it hit a peak in like the early 2000s, like the Barry Bonds... Um, pursuit along with the steroids conversation was all swirling around at the time and what that did was it just created this massive interest around the uh, the league it wasn't um, I wouldn't say that it was good for the league because they, they may be at a low right now as far as ter- in terms of uh, just season-wide popularity but it helped them out, and it pulled them out of the strike, and they embraced it for a bit, but then they kind of had to pull back. Um, you're kind of seeing the same thing without the connotations of steroids with the NBA. Um, it was about 2000, I want to say 12, that Daryl Morey uh, began experimenting with his, uh, what is known as the, G, the D-League back then, um, with their affiliate, with shooting nothing but threes and getting layups. And it was a kind of a radical um, departure from the way the NBA had always been. Yes, the NBA had, through up through about um, 2012, 13-ish, had been expanding out a little more. People wrongly credit the Golden State Warriors for making pace and space a thing. That is wrong. It wasn't the Warriors. It was really Daryl Morey who um, went all in on analytics and really identified that uh, the most, you know, the efficiency and the way the NBA should to, should bend is for is that basically threes, any three, even a contested three, is better than a contested long two. That's basically the the moral of the Daryl Morey axiom. The problem was, as with anything, as with the NBA, or excuse me, the MLB and steroids, the NBA went way, way, way overboard. And it and it's not analytics. Let me just you know, people always accuse me of being anti-analytics, and and that's not true. I I, I just don't use them in my analysis because it gives me a headache but it has nothing to do with it. I you know look they're valuable to teams and uh, you can use them in your own analysis with it I just it's not for me the the way the NBA went was almost entirely due to what Maury began back then and it really started hitting at Zenith with James Harden coming in And it became, um, basically what, all leagues are copycat leagues, and the NBA became uh, 
the ultimate copycat league. And it really, I mean, the Warriors took advantage of it, but I, I'm going to point something out about the Warriors in the second half of the podcast. That is um, uh, something about eras and having a once-in-a-lifetime shooter. Um, but as far as this goes, really, and, I, and like I said how uh, Shaq years ago, how I said how sh- the, the rules that were made to counter Shaq uh, really um, kind of created the pace and space era, uh, even though it took several years. Um, the, the rules changes to accommodate, you know, guarding Shaquille O'Neal, which included bringing in zone defense and eliminating hand check, uh, entirely were, um, basically designed to limit Shaquille O'Neal's effectiveness because by the time 2001 ran rank came around, no one could guard him and no one could officiate, uh, Shaq and, that created the conditions which Daryl Morey, 10 years later, ex- exploited for the pace, space, and threes era. And there was always going to reach a point of critical mass. And the NBA just got more comically weird-looking. I've said a lot um, on this podcast that the funhouse mirror aspect of the NBA was odd to look at, specifically for someone who, like me, who'd been watching the league since the late 80s. Um, it just didn't look right. There was nothing... There was... It was... It became... It, it became monotonous. It became... Uh, um, oh, what's the best word for this? It became hard... A chore to watch because every team played the same way. Um, and... People always decry the late 90s, and I have, I'm not going to argue with you there. Uh, the late 90s, early 2000s was a, just a dreadful time to watch basketball because it was just slogged out, boring crap that was basically caused by David Stern over-expanding over the league in 1995. But there was just, it, it was crap basketball. And the NBA had to change. And those rules changes opened up the league. And it really, if you watch the Nuggets run to the Western Conference Finals in 2009, you won't associate that with what happened in 2020. The 2009 Nuggets shot threes, but they didn't shoot only threes in layups. Uh, Those Nuggets were a very diverse offensive team that shot both, like due to Melo, mid-range shots threes from Chauncey and JR, and they had, uh, you know, um, Nene and uh, Kenny Martin rolling to the rim. It was a very diverse offensive team that became, over time, within the league, a a slog of monotony. And everyone got used to it. Everyone got used to the fact that, well, this is just the way it is. You, you shoot threes, and there's a gigantic space in the middle where no one does anything, and then gets layups. And so over time, and by the way, I, I've, said this, I've said this for a while, the NBA was a, knew this was going on. Um, the NBA knew that this was unappealing. And it became more and more, uh, NBA owners became more and more concerned about it, specifically once uh, players like Damian Lillard, James Harden, um, <clears throat> Trey Young, 
Luka Doncic. Once they all came in and started just almost exclusively exploiting the NBA's foul rules, which were created by the lack of hand-checking, for basically getting anything they wanted and creating this clownish, massive explosion of offensive basketball. But what the NBA found is that public opinion had just turned against the NBA and had nothing to do with politics, had everything to do with the style. And the style of the league became just exaggerated and not basketball. I'm sorry to say to people who were screaming at this podcast right now, I'm sorry, folks, it just became hard to watch. Uh, along comes Joel Embiid, along comes Nikola Jokic, along comes Carl Anthony Towns. Um, and the league understood that these bigs that are coming in now are more skilled than they were in, you know, throughout most of the history. But by skilled, I mean they could shoot outside shots and could pass. Okay. And in the second part of this podcast, I will talk, I'll talk to you about how Nikola Jokic and Joel Embiid specifically changed the NBA's thought pattern with um, these rules and altered the game for the better. But first, I'd like to talk to you about DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Football fans, who's ready to score some free bets? Now you can when you bet on any NFL game this week with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. New customers who bet just $1 on either team to score can win $100 in free bets. When a team scores, you score. DraftKings Sportsbook customers can also get skin in the game with new same-game parlays. These are very popular. I keep talking about this. Uh, While I don't gamble myself or bet, uh, I have many, many friends who do, and uh, my co-host of Morty and the Sharp, really, Pat, really, really loves these parlays. Uh, I highly encourage you to seek those out because there's a good way for you to take that $1 and stretch it out and make it even more. Combine multiple bets from the same game and for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you can win. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code MHS. Bet $1 on either team to score and win $100 in free bets. If they score, you score. With promo code MHS this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Okay. Um, There reached a point where the league knew, and and I say this with, with... all sincerity, the league knew that the, the way they were going wasn't sustainable. And I had a conversation, a brief conversation with Kiki Vandaway uh, years ago. And he, uh, Kiki Vandaway is a big wig in the NBA front offices now. And, and NBA, NBA league office, I should say, not front office. And it was years ago. And this is pre-Nikola Jokic, so you're talking 2014. And... Uh, I asked Kiki way back when, even like by 14, things were starting to get exaggerated as far as the threes and the, and the, it became, it was a guard dominated league. 
Kiki said something to me which was really interesting, and I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before. He said, the league conforms to its best players. And when centers become the best players in the league, the league will conform around them. And that was an interesting kind of thing. And, and the, really, the NBA hadn't had great big men since, well, probably the last draft of great big men was maybe the Tim Duncan draft. Um, and since then, and, and by Tim Duncan draft, I mean Tim Duncan, um, and since then, there hadn't been uh, very many quality big men coming into the league. Um, there's Dwight Howard in 2004, but Dwight was more of a traditional, not, not a traditional center when he came into the league. If you all remember, that, or those Orlando teams were five out and one in, and um, it was, Dwight was basically kind of like a supercharged Clint Capella, uh, very strong, six foot ten uh, guy with extremely long arms who could roll to the basket and get a lot of rebounds and uh, layups. And it wasn't like a posted up big. That, that really was never Dwight Howard even though he wanted to be. Um, but outside of that, there really wasn't dominated by big guys like that. There, this Amari Stoudemire came in in 2002, and kind of through the initial Scott Skiles uh, um, era of the Phoenix Suns to, the, to what became Mike D'Antoni's uh, Seven Seconds or Less Suns, uh, he became uh, a quote-unquote center on that team, even though Amari was always a, was, had the body of a power forward, kind of like Nene here in Denver. And he was a roll to the basket, pick and roll big, but he wasn't a posted up big. The 2014 draft, you could probably say was the harbinger of difference. Um, Joel Embiid was such a different kind of player. He faces the basketball a lot, but he does, I, I, I mean, he he's skilled, but he can do a lot of different things. In that same draft, you have Nikola Jokic. And then the next year, I believe it was Carl Anthony Towns. Um, it's these big guys that really started to change the NBA. And in order, and this is why you see these guys still thriving in a league where that changed the rules. And the NBA finally reached a culmination point where there were so many guards who were using the rules to get... What I'll say about the rules prior to this year is what what happened was they exaggerated to the point where you couldn't guard the perimeter at all. You couldn't. And I've said this all, all, you know, since going back for several years now, when the NBA eliminated the tan check and then Maury came in with the, the exaggerated threes and layups thing in 2012, what happened was <laughs> the league just became, that's how the, the exaggerated spacing happened because you had to guard them, but you couldn't touch them. So uh, uh, guards had basic impunity to do whatever they wanted to do. And if you were skilled enough and you had a good enough shot, you could get, you know, an easy 30 points just based on being able to, the threat of getting three free throws. 
the NBA knew this, and it's, and Mark Cuban started talking about it five years ago about how the the league had just become exaggerated. Um, I'm not going to say quote it's not basketball, but it really it wasn't aesthetically pleasing basketball. It became it just every action resulted in a three, and everything that um, was out there. I mean, even there's a lot of threes. Now, make no mistake, teams are still shooting a lot of threes. But bringing defense back in, what it's going to do is rebalance the league and make it more like it was in the late 2000s. So you're talking about 2008 to 2011-12. That four-year period where the NBA had achieved a balance between uh, mid-range shots, threes, and layups. Um, The difference right now is that you've got bigs who can post. And that is something that we have not seen, basically, like I said, since Tim Duncan. And Duncan wasn't a, he was more of a four than he was a center. So, you know, really you're going back to the, the heyday of, of centers, which is the 90s. You notice that scores are down, the pace is down, and it's because the defense is shrinking the court. And what has needed to be happened for a while is the court needed to shrink. Yeah, you get guys shooting from the logo. And Nikola Jokic made a shot from the logo a couple games ago. And that's fine. Um, but the game as itself, aesthetically speaking, is starting to retreat. It's starting to come back in, which is what it needed to do. And I said before, what these rules are going to do is rebalance the league to where the threes won't just be chucked up randomly to get free throws, the, 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 the three-point shots are going to be more efficient now, which is what the NBA needed. They needed emphasis on efficient three-pointers, which is basically the corner three or wide open three, rather than chucking shots. And that is what had hindered the league for these last, well, particularly these last four years, it had it had just gotten ridiculous, you know, largely with what Harden was doing with exploiting the rules. But the rebalancing of the league has been so much better. I have talked to countless people who can actually watch the games. Obviously, we got that blackout here in Denver. But what I have what I've seen from people is that they they, they have to a person said the league is just more aesthetically pleasing now. And it happened overnight. This is people are just enjoying this year more than any year since maybe 2016 when it was LeBron and Curry and the 73 win uh, Warriors in the playoffs. And I think that excuse me, 2000, yeah, yeah, the 73 win ours, yeah. So that that is it. And then uh, I, I, honestly, I think I think the league is better for it. The league identified that their best players were becoming centers and de-emphasized the spacing, the exaggerated spacing, and the funhouse mirror aspect of it. And I, for one, love it. I mean, last night, in, in, as of this recording, the last night's Nuggets game against the Dallas Mavericks, which the Nuggets lost, um, there was a, a foul on Jermichael Green, where who was clearly fouled, but... It was last year they would have called that a flagrant foul when they reviewed it for like, an, like 10 minutes or something like that. It was insane. 
Um, but they called it a foul. It was just a regular common foul. In fact, I think they called it a double foul because of the, the contact that was going on, which was fine. That was great. I loved seeing that they didn't call that a flagrant foul because they used better judgment. The NBA is rebalancing, and we, as the consumer of basketball, are all the better off for it. All right, thank you all for joining me on the latest Mortcast. I'll be back soon with another episode. Goodbye.